What's up, long players? You know the drill. Welcome back to the Long Play Listening Party, the show where we go deep on local music, writing, recording, inspiration, gear, and whatever else sounds good to us. Today, that is the 20th anniversary reissue of DJ Not a DJ's acclaimed album. And uh, I'm Howie Howard from Mr. Furious Records, joined as always by my intrepid co host, Nate Holt, Strawley's Music. Intrepid. What's going on, Nate? How are you, Howie? How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm trying to mix it up a little bit in keeping with the spirit of this record. And we have returning guest and band member, Jared Fulton. What's going on, Jared? What is going on, Long Play team? Blessed to be here, man. And Bob Little and Dash Williamson both are here in spirit. Love and um, hugs and kisses. I did. Yeah, we, I definitely wanted to get to the other band members. So Nate's in this band as well. So before we hear anything, and we'll get to the music very quickly, but can how about um, how about Nate? Can you tell our audience just a little bit about DJ Not a DJ twenty years ago? How the group started and and kind of what it was then. And then Jared, can you tell us briefly about the uh, the reissue that's coming out? Sure. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So early 2000s, I mean, we had all known each other. Um, Bob, Dash, and I, and several other people. Um, There's a uh, barbecue joint called uh, PBR. Uh, wasn't it PBR? Yeah, on 23rd. Yeah, yeah Paps Blue Ribbon Barbecue. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And uh, a friend of ours was the manager, and we had. Uh, Sunday nights were jam nights, so there is, you know, any number of, of you know great musicians and stuff. And that's kind of uh, from there. Like, I don't know how. I think Jared, you asked us if we could open for a band, and yeah, I would come down to Sunday nights and kick it with you guys. Y'all were phenomenal. I mean, it was all improv. Y'all would play some standards, a lot of fusion stuff, like Weather yeah. Report, Billy Collins stuff. It was amazing. So I'd come down there and see you guys. We had mutual friends, met you guys there, knew y'all better there. And then I was booking shows uh, with House of Blues and Avalanche, and we had an opening spot for, I believe... Lake Trout, wasn't it? Well, I actually thought it was the New Deal, I think it was a new deal was the very first one at the bottleneck. Okay. Uh, but let's say it's one of those bands. Cause yep. that was one of the early things. And um, yeah. So I put you guys on as the opener and uh, y'all knew what the vibe was going to be. Yeah. You, I think you told us what it was like. So I remember uh, yeah. setting up in uh, the house I was uh, living in with a, another musician named Brian Egan. That's right. Um, on, on Wait, so, so who's in the group at this point? Because Jarrett, you're booking, but you're not in the group. Yeah, it's just a trio. Well, well, I mean, it no, was- no, I don't think those bottleneck shows came first. Honestly, the way I remember it, Nate, I mean, that was right. That was way out. That was like right there. Like we're right in the same month or two. We don't have to get too picky here. Uh, we are talking about 20 years ago, but yeah, basically, like I knew there was a gig. You, I asked Bob. I'll never forget Bob calling me. I was standing at the corner of Eighth and New Hampshire, and he's like, "Look." We're going to call this group DJ Not a DJ. And I was like, okay, dude, I got shivers. Like, I was like, it was just perfect. And it was going to be the trio, you, Bob, and Dash. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, I f- was Jersey's the Jersey's was the we first gig I jerseys. played with y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so like basically, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't want to yeah. be long winded here. Basically, yeah. 
y'all had the uh, y'all said y'all could open, came up yeah. with the concept, and it was just live and improv. And like that first night, yeah, it was like it was, a little bit of drum and bass, a little bit of four four grooves. Yeah, it was all improv. I think I I I had like a Roland uh, that V ten ten model. Yeah, or something. yeah. I remember uh, that thing. The controller, and then yeah, the, uh, I, I don't know the roads. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I had a real freaking roads back then. Yeah, uh, and that's what I used. And we just, uh, yeah, it was just Dash would play bass line, or I'd play some chords, and then we just play. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and I, I ended up having a hidden agenda. I think I booked them a couple times, um, like opening in, uh, for some bands that would come through generally at the bottleneck but then um uh i had this agenda where like i was djing a lot at the time and uh, i'd been a musician my whole life but like i hadn't been in bands yet really in lawrence like some just session stuff here and there so i booked them at this place up the street and i was like hey i'm gonna join you guys and dj and uh that's that was our first gig and we clicked and it went well and uh, then we were a band <laughs> and you eventually made a recording yes Yes, we did. So and, we a lot that of just our, we, Jared, was that in your studio? For a couple of years, we recorded a lot of our live shows, and but we didn't really ever have songs. I think maybe we had a couple covers that we would start, but I think for a long time, at least a couple of years, we were just recording shows, um, and then we decided that it was time to to actually make a record. Yeah. Time to put something down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that whole like record our shows, come home, dump the dat, listen to the dat, figure out some parts. We never rehearsed. I mean, that was like a secret. That was like kind of an open secret with all our peers and stuff. It was like we never rehearsed. Every show was like rehearsal for us, but it was always improv with like some sketches. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, so we, but we wanted to focus and like rehone like our vision and like the best elements, uh, you know, of our stage show into the album and so yeah i was living at this place we had a studio in the house and um supplemented it with some more gear when we just started making the record while we were playing a lot of shows like we played a lot of shows sometimes (laughs) sometimes like three times a week uh sometimes more sometimes less but like we just played a lot and that's kind of like where all the ideas for the record came from maybe some studio stuff but i'd say like 10 percent of it was written just in the studio like 90 percent of it was you know going through the dat tapes and saying let's do that yeah yeah. Nice. And that record, uh, Deep Roots and Shallow Ground, released in 2003, mm. kind of became, I mean, it was a local hit, I'll, I'll go ahead and say. And it's kind of like this uh, international underground sort of, if you know, you know, I mean, if you're deep into this stuff, like you guys picked up listeners across the globe, right? We did. Um, one big thing was like, you know, mp3.com and then like the beginning of like Last FM and all that stuff. Like we were getting like millions and millions of streams uh, from those early services and stuff. And then like um, we had like a little bit of a boom with the um, Kazaa era. Like our album was getting traded quite a bit through like tapers and stuff. So like tapers like would show up. Uh, sometimes people we knew, sometimes people we didn't. And like we'd have some people travel to like tape our shows, and then like our shows were going around like nugs.net and stuff like that. And that was really cool in like the early jambase.com days. And so that was really, really cool because there was only like four bands like were doing our sound at that time. And so like if you if you were into that, we were kind of lumped into those other three names. 
and I was right. Uh, and just just yeah. to orient people, I mean, the group that I'm familiar with from around that time doing something approximately like your sound would be something like Sound Tribe Sector Nine. Oh, absolutely. And and they were influential on us is in terms of like how they were presenting that sound live. Um, I mean, I would never disparage, talk bad about any of our homies. Like we're friends, uh, we're a little bit of friends with them. We were friends with the New Deal and Lake Trout and uh, um, who else? And of course, Siamese, which Sokka was in that band. And so, I mean, all those guys have, we have nothing but respect for, but like our niche that we really tried to do the best to our ability was less jam and more focused on like the the sound of of the records that were influenced, uh, influencing us and that we were playing all the time too. Um, all of us were like crate diggers and would DJ here and there and stuff. So like we wanted that sound. So that was like our whole goal is like we really wanted, can we sound like a good looking record? Like LTJ Bookham's drum and bass label. Can we sound like that? Can we sound like a rhinoceros house? Incredible because, I mean, they were incredible. I mean, they're they're all incredible, but yeah. it, it was Sokka too. I mean, he yeah. was half man, half machine. Now he's Pendulum's drummer now. Yeah, he's like, he's like probably the de facto, who's the best live drum and bass drummer? It's Sokka uh, for most people. Um, he's just he's just amazing. It was like such a blessing to be with those guys. And all of us were coming up together and supporting each other. And it was really, really cool. And we'd share markets and, um, you know, any resources we all had. Like, we, we, we were all a team together. It was really, really cool. It was a close-knit family community, too. Yeah, I, uh, that, I remember at that release party was at the, the pool room. That was That's still, right. Uh, open at the time. That was right. Yeah, Edwin Morales, Project Groove, he uh, he helped us out so much. And he was on our record, too. Well, you, you couldn't cue me. I just started uh, the music. You couldn't cue me up any better than, you know, talking about the records that you were um, influenced by and um, trying to recreate the feeling of. I have, so for our uh, show tonight, I've organized the record into side the sides of the uh double lp reissue that we're going to talk about awesome um so we'll hear side one and side two on this week's show side three and four um next week but they the sides are mostly continuous or there's definitely like continuity among two or more songs at multiple different places on the record so it just kind of made sense to uh organize things that way Awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, our goal with that album was to make a seamless mixtape. And so we wanted every song to like flow together like you'd hear a DJ curate a mixtape. And that was like our vibe for this record. That was our big goal. And so that um, opening song was like kind of a tribute to how we would start our shows. Like our shows would just start in some sort of like ambient fashion. Yeah. Uh, we would like, they would find a note and uh, we just kind of go from there. Yeah, I uh, used the, uh, I think it was RC30 at the time. Yeah. So I just have loops, uh, or I would start loops, you know, with pads and stuff that was, you know, ambiguous uh, so that, you know, we, 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 would, we could have a, a structure or a certain notes that would fit and you know the whole point was at least to me in my mind was was just creating a vibe creating a trance um you know 
people to dance and not you know, be, try to be, you know, the focus of the show. Like, we, we were just trying to, like, I, I, I'm having trouble figuring you know, uh, out that, but. Nate, you're leaning away from your microphone and it's gating out. Okay. Uh, did you understand what I was saying? Uh, uh, some of it, yeah. Uh, what I was saying is just like, you know, um, yeah, we would just set um, you know, a kind of a key and play around that key, uh, you know, my ambient kind of loops that I would uh, create uh, were kind of like the bed and uh, you know, I don't think any of us were, at least in my mind, trying to be the you know, focus of the show. We were trying just to set a vibe, and, and that was, you know, uh, you know, sort of a, you know, uh, putting people into like a trance, you know, which is you know, repetition. Um, well, yeah. that, that's like a deep, you know, uh, that is. You know, like a minimal techno, deep dubby minimal techno. It's all about repetitiveness, and maybe a new hi hat appears every uh, 64 yeah. bars or something, and the song just grows and kind of gets you into that mode. And we were always about the vibe, like, but a cohesive jam, not just like a loose noodle wave jam. Um, yeah, a, jam I mean, with, a jam within a structure. structure but yeah. it, it, it was a lot looser, but uh, yeah. it was the same idea. Yeah. Uh, definitely experimental. And it was definitely uh, just, it was so fun uh, to play like that. And, you know, say, send it to the jazz house, we played to 12, take a break, and we might have played two songs in that time. <laughs> I mean, some of it was not good. A lot of it I thought was pretty good. Some of it was freaking amazing. <laughs> But that was that was the, the fun of it. Right, and that's part of why people listen to you guys, right? Is just that's why you have tapers, because you don't know what the show's gonna be like necessarily. I mean and that's not to get off topic, but that's kind of what uh, prompted me to start just recording or going live on Instagram uh, with, you know, groups I play with now just because it, it's what it is. It's like, you know, if, if there's magical moments, they're there. I don't go back and listen to many of them at all, but um, I do remember when there's good moments and sometimes I, you know, it's nice to go back and have that, you know, be like, wow, okay. Um, okay. And you also learn things. I mean, you hear, uh, crappy stuff too and you're like okay i know i'm not gonna do that but yeah um oh i mean we're not kind of taking it back to you know us yeah shows listening to the tapes and and picking out you know the sweet stuff and and taking it and and making it you know turning it into a record yeah and we would generally we'd come home load unload the trailer and like chill out at the studio and go back through the dat uh kind of like how prince would after his shows, you know, because like we would, we could easily be like, hey, do you remember that part of uh, first set, second set, whatever? We could immediately go to it and remember that because it was nice to like capture those notes fresh. 
uh, of the of the part of the night that moved us collectively, and that was those are the parts that made the album. And that's part of being in a band that, um, yeah, you only get a certain amount of time unless you're, you know, you have some success or you know another some something else that allows you to have the free time with you know four other people's schedules to sync up. But yeah, uh, you know that's a big part of being in a band back then that you know you were together at the show, came home, you hung out, you wanted to listen to yourselves. And I think, you know, now it's not like we don't want to do that, but it's like everybody has, you know, we get together, we, we have time to practice, we have time to play the show, we have great time playing the show, but then, you know, you have other stuff you have to get back to, you can't necessarily hang out, yeah. uh, you know, for a whole weekend or something. Just yeah. Being, being together. So um, that's what it was also really, I think. Uh, listening to this record reminds me of that that time. So like this song, for example, Nate got this keyboard called the Nord of the uh, MS-2000, the Korg MS-2000. And uh, this preset that you're hearing on there is just that. It's a preset, but Nate made it unique. And like he was able to save that patch. And so like this song was literally like almost note for note, a recreation of something we did live on the fly one night. And uh, it was really cool to come home and like, we would be like, oh, that eight minute jam, like that was the song and like the way that it worked out. We knew we wanted a guest vocalist on it. So I worked with this awesome girl at uh, House of Blues named Regina Cruz. And she blessed us with her vocals and came by. And that was the vibe we were feeling. I'm still feeling that vibe right this moment. How, how good is it to be alive? And uh, we, we tossed that phrase out to her and she, she just did her thing. Yeah, and it's funny. You, you, you hear about uh, the preset versus, you know, building your own patch or, or designing your own, you know, stuff from, from scratch. And, you know, there's merits to both arguments, I think. But, you know, the fact that you, this was a preset. Um, that oh, you, you, you made, made it your own. You made, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, but, you know, it was just that just that idea you know and we i don't know how we jammed on it at shows but it was it was well <laughs> i mean that's the thing though like we weren't using midi locked equipment we weren't all sunk up with air midi or anything and a lot of technology that's around now we just didn't have them so we couldn't lock all our computers and gear like that uh like a lot of bands can now so like when nate would drop some arpeggiation like this uh my man Nate was like killing on the rhythm because he would have to trigger different keys and keep the tempo locked and uh, otherwise the whole song would fall apart. So Nate was having to do a lot of mad science and stuff back there. Yeah, the was, you know, because I mean, you still had, I don't I don't know if you had tap tempo, but you had the tempo uh, knob. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you just 
Bob was. Bob is a metronome, so when I'm firing yeah, off yeah. samples from my decks, yeah. uh, or like loops from my guitar, and Nate's doing the same over there, none of us were clock synced. So that was like a whole other skill set we all kind of had to like figure out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This so this was uh, like the tour MS 2000, based on on that. Uh, but I still think that Dash's baseline is killer in the song, man. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so, like, live, I would be playing percussion, guitar, DJ, samples, sampler. and Just depending that, on the song? Just depending on the song. What was really cool is, like... Um, you know, and I was on vinyl and CDs at the, at the time, too. So I'd have like a ton of uh, curated, you know, like CDs I would make in Pro Tools. And then I would like have like 200 samples on CDs and stuff and like like have to remember what samples, what, where's there or just queue it up, try to get this general vicinity. Um, but then like I would still have to lock with Nate and the drums. And so, like, uh, I had some, you know, I had some tools that had variable speed and stuff like that. But like everything was triggered live i mean i still mm -hmm. i guess i keep bringing this up if i can be honest i'm just kind of proud that we didn't have midi clock uh that we were able to keep time just on our own accord because <laughs> it was it was like a juggling act every night yeah i mean that's what made it so fun i mean i know i know it wasn't all great but no uh, not always no but that was the and that was I thought that was kind of fun too. It's just like you, uh, something wouldn't sound so good, but then you know you'd lock into either like a rhythm or or something, yeah. and, and everybody would just come together. And then you know it was like off for however long, yeah, you know, and yeah, it was. And I, and I know when we were making this, this was, this was the very first iteration of digital design. This was like Pro Tools 001, and. Uh, it was like we were so happy to finally be back on a grid where everything could still breathe and have like some analog heart, but still be like, you know, conducted on a grid. That was nice for us. <laughs> Keep things locked like we wanted. Yeah, I still can't believe, man, I was hauling around in roads. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would be hauling around in roads. Uh, and then I think I had like a, I don't know. It was a, it was heavy and big and blue, and it would have a tower, monitor, yeah, all, all, all the like computer like you know PC stuff that yeah. you have at your house. Yeah, we just bring it in, load it, set it up. Load oh, it up. We were such a gear heavy band. Uh, band, you know, we were touring enough that we got a trailer, and uh, even for local shows, like it was a production. We'd have lights and all that kind of stuff, so we had a lot of gear. <laughs> What was what was the tower for, Nate? You were running sounds off of it, or you were recording to it, or what? No, uh, no recording. It was reason. sound, reason. Yeah, yeah, reason. Oh. Um, yeah, I was on stage too. Mostly sense and stuff. Yeah. That's amazing.
Yeah, it was a trip to hear this song get put together, and then playing it live, it was just like, like, at the time, one of my favorite songs, you know, uh, you know, um, indie band or, 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 you know, major label band, and I felt like I was, like, covering, you know, some badass band. It was super fun, man. This song was a lot of fun to put together in the studio, too. For sure. So this is, I don't think I, I went through the, the track listing on side one. So side one, intro, global control. Plasticon. Plasticon. Light it up. Uh, with Regina. Yeah. This is Light It Up with Jesse Jackson. Yes, sir. Bless up, Jesse Jackson. Was it Jesse Jackson 5? Was Jesse, Rich Bologna? Yeah. Was it Mike uh, Warren playing drums? I'm, I think so. Bill Pyle was a DJ. Bill Pyle was a DJ and yeah. then bass player. God, I should Oh, yeah. That. Oh, my God. So good. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember. I, I feel terrible, but that was that was a band, man. I, I would see them and just feel like, okay, well... I know. Yeah, you gotta practice or quit. I know. <laughs> so that was a fun story. So I worked. I worked with Jesse over at House of Blues, and um, you know he had done this song with us, and you know we were just so thrilled because uh, we were big fans of Jesse. He was on our record, and then I was like, "Yo, uh, my friend runs Avon Jakes. Um, will you guys get back together?" And he was like, "Yeah, we'll get back together for a show." So we had him headline Avon Jakes, and we opened the show, and. Uh, that was actually one of my favorite shows ever. It was so fun. Everyone came out to see JJ5 again too, man. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, that, that was back when I, I was like all about taking as many keyboards in as I could find. I mean, I definitely had the ones I... I you, you had the pit? I think, yeah, yeah. That, I think there's a picture from that show where I think there's a, uh, a Moog that came from somewhere. I think maybe it was you, Jared. I was my Opus 3. Yeah, yeah. Opus, yeah. Um, yeah. Hi, buddy. Yeah. No, I mean, we like to have all our tools at our disposal live. And like I said, we had a light show too. So, like, it was, it was no big deal, like... Uh, for us, we got used to it, but it was a big deal in terms of like time commitment and stuff. Like you're talking a two hour load in and set up and, but we were all committed to it. So we didn't mind it, you know, and the tear down too. Uh, but we wanted to, we wanted to provide the best show possible. And we liked having all of our gear there too, uh, because we wanted to have every tool so we could explore any sound that came to our mind. Uh, and most of our sets, I mean, most of our shows were like over the three hour mark. So we wanted to make sure we had as many flavors available and on hand as possible so we didn't mind all the gear loading we were younger too yeah yeah so now the jazz house is like oh god one keyboard tonight i don't know yeah oh see all my gear was in flight cases and so heavy yeah. and, and then well, stuff yeah and, and, and the roads and uh the cabinet and uh, dash's rig and yeah. all the drums all the drums oh my goodness <laughs> yeah no it was uh it was a lot but well, when Nate's bringing a tower, you can't blame Bob for bringing all the five, drums. Five snare drums, yeah. Yeah, it was almost ridiculous, but it was. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't. All right, we're going to keep going. Side two, we've got uh, Upside Down. 
the uh, chili chill mix. The chronister, is that it? Yes. <laughs> and uh, hectic days. Love it. Nate Jorgensen. I'm reading off of a very small. It's very hard for me to read these song titles, so I'm, I hope I'm getting them right. No, you are. Harder, man. Yeah. Um, so this is a, this girl named Juanica that was doing a bunch of studio work at our studio, and uh, one day, I don't know, maybe Nate asked her, but like, we had this down tempo jam, and we're like, man, we could use a female vocal, and Juanica was there, and she's like, yeah, I'll do it for you. It's like we just need a little, this little vocal fragment. Rather sample you than in like another record, and so she did that for us, and that was the vibe of this song is love, and that's all. She, that's what she said, and we. Yeah, I, I think there's just uh, another preset that I tweaked a little bit, and then Dash came in with his bassline. Oh, <laughs> man. That cat is like so musical, man. It just it's. Love that baseline, dude. <laughs> this uh, song was definitely influenced a lot by like all those cooking uh, compilations. Oh my god, I was a down tempo DJ at the time of a couple different bars and like cooking, cooking and like Ninja Tune and Ubiquity and Guidance were like some of my favorite down tempo labels, and that was like. You know, I showed the band all these records and we're like, let's do a down tempo track in the vein of something that those labels would release. And so that was our attempt on this song. I love little writing assignments like that. I, yeah. I think those are so productive. Or I find them so productive for myself anyway. Yeah, I, I, I know yeah. I don't do them enough. Uh, they are so they are so helpful but one thing I will say like about our band is like we were never shy about like saying claiming influences because like we felt like we were doing something unique like we're a band pulling from the crates saying can mm -hmm. we can we as a group sound like this singular production and so that's we, we always kind of wore that as a badge of honor and never like um, you know something to be shy of you know like oh these are don't know our influences don't know our records we're listening to we we love to spread the gospel on all these different artists and sub you know small labels and uh producers that no one knew that we just adored so like it was you know it was an outlet for us to be like yeah this is a cool writing assignment but our whole assignment as a band is to mimic these records we adore so i guess what i'm just trying to say is like we, we wore that as a point of pride yeah, so that's, I hear you saying both um, embracing wearing those influences on your sleeve as a point of how the subculture operates, right? That sure. this, it's actually okay to do this. Sure. And also the way you set the group up with the live instrumentation, it's like you can bite anything as hard as you want and it's going to come out different just because of the process you're going through to arrive at your sounds. I totally agree with that. Yeah, and uh, I was trying to make a point, but I, I feel like I would be. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, in all humility, I feel like that always sounded like us, even if we did that right like, through this lens. Uh, hey, we want to sound like a cooking down tempo track. It would still sound like us because it's like 
Nate and you know, it was each one of our vibes that we bring to it, like we still make it our own thing at the end of the day. So um, yeah, no, I I felt it was fun to like crate dig in public in a way. <laughs> now, Jared, did you or David, Jared, did yeah. you uh, did you use any tracks at any point? Like okay. samples. Uh, well, uh, I mean, like backing track, like some of our uh, stems or anything. Live? Yeah. Oh, it just depends. Like, like that percussion right there, since it was so gritted out. Once we, when, yeah. like, when we had play this stuff live, instead of me playing that on my hand Sonic, uh, like I might have some backing stuff, but I would have to catch Bob's tempo, so I could never. There might have been a few songs where, like, I would start with like a drum and bass loop or something like that, and Bob would play to me. Nine times out of ten, I'm adapting rhythms and samples variably on the spot to Bob's rhythm because generally it was coming out of another song or something. So like, I didn't really have a chance to be the song starter that often. Um, I would have to have like dialogue stuff ready, sound effects, know the key. Like, even though I can't read music, I'd have to just trust my ear and like, yeah, just adapt to you guys. Honestly. I mean, obviously with guitar, like I would know what to do, but like with samples and stuff, that was always kind of like roulette a little bit and like have 10 seconds to queue up something and try to get it in pitch and on time. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> Kept me on my toes the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, and and I guess where I was going with this is what, you know, you know we got together um, a couple of weeks ago in Lawrence and recorded a record at uh, KU's uh, audio engineering department with John McCluskey, Johnny Quest, and uh, Jared and I are like getting the stuff kind of uh, organized and, and in a form where eventually we'll be able to come together and, and, and uh, you know, get the songs completed. But, you know, I'm like, you know, it would be really fun to play live, but do we, uh, you know, do we sequence a show and have, you know, the backing tracks that we might want? Or do we just get together, jam on the songs and figure out ways to do them without having that? Because, yeah, yeah, I don't remember using many at all back then. And, you know, well, I mean, like, this I, we, it's, it's this like we had a example. full, full sound, you know, yeah. it, it seemed like it was, you know, anything would be dropping out. And that, I mean, that's a lot of like yeah. looping and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm just kind of talking to myself. Out loud. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I have my answer for that. But like, for example, with this song, like, I would have started that song with that drum loop, you know, and then have it like kept that loop the whole time because I didn't have seven minutes of it, you know? Right. Like I would have to find that fragment and loop it on the fly and then like change to the next loop on the fly. Yeah. Um, like on this new album, man, like technology's changed. We both produced this record. So like, I feel like we'd have backing tracks, which I've never been embarrassed of. We'd have like certain things locked up in sync and then like do as much live as possible like we always did. But sometimes yeah. it's nice to have some backing things. And I, I prefer having backing tracks like that. Yeah. Uh, 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 Mike Shapiro was telling us that uh, he's a big Molly Crew fan. And he, he said that, uh, I guess, their last tour they went out and it was backing tracks. And Mick Mars was like, dude, I, I can play. I play this stuff. I played it. I can play it. And they're like, no, you're going to play you know, to the backing tracks. Oh, that's different. 
I'm talking about. I'm not. I'm not talking about. Well, no, no. I'm just. I mean, that was just kind of an antidote. Like, like, oh, that's hilarious. You know, well, that's, fucking you know, Nick Mars rules, by the way. Well, yeah, of course. Oh, and so to tell them to sit there. No, you can't play that. You gotta mimic it or something. That. No, I mean we have guide tracks. We don't have backing tracks. Right. You know, we're not Millie Vanilli. <laughs> we have we have guide tracks because we only have so many hands. You yep. know, and like a lot of our compositions have like a lot of loops and elements. So guide tracks are cool. You know, we add on top of those and what's on top of the guide tracks is uh, I'll shine on the guide tracks, you know? And there's so much, I mean, the tools, and I don't know if either of you, like if you're Ableton experts or whatever, but the things you could do in Ableton with live looping and stuff and having everybody That's in right. sync and mixing live loops and pre-recorded. And I've never gotten deep into that, but like there's amazing stuff available. And that world has moved um, much more, I think, toward the integration where you can you can mix those elements, and there's just much more, many more possibilities. The versatility is there, and then like uh, that freedom of expression is way more baked in now. I mean, just Ableton lock in general, the fact that we can air MIDI each other and have our machines locked. The the stuff that we all take for granted now, Nate and I, I mean, this band and I were dreaming of back in 2003, like literally sit around and talk about, I wish we had this, I wish we had that, I wish this existed, it all exists now. Um, so yeah, it was, it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we'd probably do is uh, have a master uh, clock, you know, drums yeah. or Jarrett, yeah. Bob or Jarrett, and then, yeah. uh, you know, I would loop stuff and it would just be in tempo and sync. Yeah. And then most of the, the cool, expression and, and improv and stuff would just be coming from art, you know, playing. That's right. I mean, it's no secret within my friend group, like one of my all-time favorite bands is this band on Warp Records called Battles. And the way that Battles do their yeah. live looping, like they, now they're with, now it's just a duo, you know? But like, even when it was just a trio after they weren't a quartet anymore, like they were all like analog locked. You know what I mean? Like there was still like some CV like looping. Yeah. But it wasn't MIDI locked. Right. Uh, and now they're MIDI locked, you know, with Ableton. But um, I mean, just what they could do with analog lock was amazing. Yeah. But like, yeah, Battles like best loop based live band I've ever seen. I don't. I don't think it gets much better for me. Uh, we kind of oh, hang on. Just, hang on. Go ahead. I, I. We just kind of Nate. You like very. You were extremely low key about announcing that DJ Not a DJ is making a follow up record, you know, 20 years later. You just kind of slid that in there. Yeah. Nick liked that, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I, there's not much to say right now, but uh, in terms of the recording, um, the quality of it, and hearing some of the first just bounces you know yeah not even you know no effects just just what was recorded through the board is uh yeah my my uh my eyes are are lit up and and man yeah i can't i can't wait to uh to get further into this because yeah uh, it's i i don't know i mean jared i'll defer to you as far as how much we'll want to talk about it right now, but you know, no, I mean, there's no secrets. Uh, you know, this, we've been planning the re-release of this vinyl for two years. Wanted it to correlate with this 20th anniversary date, this special in all of our lives. 
And it just so happened, like, you know, at the same time, we were saying, hey, we got all these tracks that we've been writing as a band together for like a year. Uh, let's go ahead and get them done in a studio and come together. And so, I mean, like, I'll never forget, this is one of my top 10 moments in life probably is like walking into the studio with our album on vinyl to give to everybody that I just got from the plant and like starting the new album. Like that divine timing was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Uh, we're so happy to make this record. We have like probably two albums and an EP's worth. We stuffed like seven days worth of recording in three days. Johnny Quest is an audio wizard. And we were super, I mean, in all humility, we were super prepared and just came in there. And even on the last day, got to improv for like a couple hours. So like we left with a bunch of material. Nate and I are um, going through everything and get things set up. There's a little bit of sonic treatment going on right now, but really we're just like, we're all drummers too, Howie. So like each track had like, I mean, most, most tracks have over a hundred tracks on them because there's multiple drum takes. <laughs> And then like all my all my compositions are yep. like very sample dense and there's a lot of layers and stems. So and then, you know, all this play everything, too. So there's a lot of there's multiple, you know, there's multiple bass, there's multiple guitar, triple drums. Nate's pretty much doing most of the keyboard after the stuff I did. Uh, but, you know, we're replacing yeah, some of the stuff I did with his stuff just because that's how it should be. Sometimes, so, sometimes yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just like, what, uh, why would I even mess with this? It sounds just great you know and i'll add some stuff and maybe take it out to see if there's you know other uh directions to go but uh i think i've gotten through four or five songs now and yeah and i know yeah leave in you know at least a couple of various tracks if not most or all of them and and, and add my own stuff and it's just going to be a, a matter of you know uh, getting the layering and the, well the, the... everything you add i think is better it makes things better and also like uh this band is so special to me and because there is literally zero ego in this band howie like it's such a democratic process everyone cares about each other and respects everybody's opinion and everyone is heard and uh best idea wins it's never a uh, look at me show and I think that reflects in this new album more than ever. Um, we when we started like when once we were like an official band and we were digging and stuff. We we had a vision that we want people to love DJ not a DJ as a one sound. That's why we if you open up our vinyl it says we are a band, we are a family, and we truly feel that way. So I'm just all this to say that best idea wins out, and uh, there's no ego, and it's about servicing the song. And that's that's hard to find in a group of four people or more, and uh, we found it with this group, and that's very very special to me. Yeah, those relationships are special, and I have a just listening to you now has given me a hypothesis. And tell me what you think of this. Sure. My hypothesis is that uh, when band members are multi instrumentalists or have different experiences, you're a guitarist and you are an engineer, or you know when you when you have multiple roles you can play. Yeah. And and every member has multiple roles that frees up a lot of that space, right? Because it's no longer like I'm the guitarist, so there has to be a guitar on everything, nah. or otherwise nah. I'm not represented, right? Nah. No. But when everybody does yeah. multiple things, you you have a lot more flexibility to move around and yeah, um, not even not even play. You know, maybe. Uh, 
maybe I'm a guitarist and a keyboard player and an engineer, and that gives me the confidence, I guess, to to be like, you know what? I don't hear myself in Here. this section, and that's, that's right. fine. That's right. I'm somewhere else, and I'm good with that. Yeah, that well said. And honestly, that's one of my favorite elements of this band. It's not, oh, I better have a guitar solo. Oh, I better double drum on this so people know I play drums. Oh, I better uh, go do this. It's none of that BS. Like, does this song need this part? Okay, cool. Can you, can Nate, can you play that percussion part? And I'll play this keyboard part or vice versa. Or Dash, do you want to play the drums on this song? And Bob will do this and play the bass line. Like, that doesn't always happen, but it, it's a possibility. And it happens mm -hmm. often enough to where... I love the flexibility of this band so much. I feel like I'm in a band with 16 people because you have four people that can do four things. And it's That's so a great way cool. to put it. It's so fun, Howie. Oh my God, it's so fun. So fun. And, like, and, I, and I, I want to get back to record uh, for a second because sure. Conister, uh, I think, has one of the coolest uh, bridges or, or transitions in the middle that, like, I just... I, I'm in love with that transition. Yeah. Um, I wanted to point it out, and I should have, but... Uh, yeah, it's the middle section of the Chronister yeah, for everybody who wants to hear it. That's so... Oh, man. That was... Uh, we were all learning Pro Tools. The year was like 2002. We had a Pro Tools rig, and we were all learning to loop and chop and just use the device at all. Uh, so we had a lot of fun putting those drums together. Like that little section took us a long time, but we learned a lot together. And then the uh, in this track of the the flautist is uh, Nate Jorgensen. Nate J. Yep, Naji, who I uh, played with <laughs> when we were in college together in a band called the Sugar Daddies, which is like a funk. Uh, so good, years. so good. Uh, and he is now a professor up in New Hampshire. I can't remember what they call it. It's no name. We're not really into college, but he's uh, he's a professor of saxophone. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if he has a. I, I think he has other responsibilities. Uh, uh, you know, larger responsibilities with the music department. But anyway, he's uh, he's a very he's done very well for himself with his career and uh, you know his, his talent at, at playing saxophone and yeah and educating. Uh, so it, you know, it's fun to go back and like. You know, hear him on this record. Yeah. And I've really been wanting to talk to him in person to, to see, you know, kind of see see how he's thinking. Him. I probably, yeah. I probably should send him a record. I got, I got my first order from Fat Beats today, so. Okay, man. Good. Yeah. Good. That's that's why I posted that picture. Yeah, but we've been really happy that we have national distribution with this record, and um, so far, so good. Um, it literally came out officially last week. So pre-order went strong, and now we're just uh, gonna start working on it a little bit harder. And uh, we'd love to sell it out like we did the first run, but you know, we're patient too. So we just wanna make sure everyone that wants to copy gets it. And uh, you know, we're just, we're just happy in the first place that there was a demand enough that people wanted to hear it again. Like seriously, like it still tickles us to this day that people wanted to hear our music again. So we never take that for granted. It really, it really um, I want to say surprised in, in a, you know, it, it was, I felt really good to see all the people that, you know, once we had the, 
you know, put DJ Nana Gigi up in, on social media, like it's like all these people, like you know, from from our you know, you know, old friends, you know, newer friends, just yeah, following us and like you know, saying they were excited to to finally hear the album again and stuff. So. Yeah. And where where are the good places to hear it and to pick up that vinyl? Well, we haven't advertised at all, really. Um, no money has been spent on marketing, just like word of mouth and maybe a few social posts between bandmates and friends and family and stuff. But um, let's see. Nate runs our Instagram account. Uh, you can get the record pretty much anywhere you buy records across the nation. If they don't have it, they can order it through Fat Beats. Uh, most record stores have Fat Beats accounts, which is cool. But uh, let's see. In Lawrence, you can get it at Love Garden. Uh, Kelly stocked a lot of copies because he is amazing. Actually, uh, Friday night they had a listening party at Love Garden. I heard it went really well. They played it really loud, is what I was told. So that was wow, really cool. Really? Yeah, yeah. They had they played the record from like seven to nine on Friday night and posted on it, and that was really cool. Oh, man, and then I, uh, it's available at Josie Records no idea. in Kansas City. Uh, and then yeah, like Plaid Room Records, Turntable Lab, uh, Fat Beats. I'm missing a few, but like some of the bigger online retailers and like maybe like 15, 20 mom and pops across the nation right now. Um, but like we haven't even like started pushing the distro yet or like really reaching out to all the stores yet. We're just kind of letting things kind of like bubble up organically and then maybe get a little bit of momentum going and then we'll start working it a little harder. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I, what about mixtapemeditation.com? Thank you. Howie, you can go to the label's website and get it there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> My man, Howie, thank you. I got you. I got thank you. Me. And listeners, we'll have you next week with sides three and four of Deep Roots and Shallow Ground. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have fun. We've been the Long Play Listening Party. Later. Later.